Hey, welcome to the Project Church podcast. My name is Caleb Cole. I'm the lead pastor here at Project Church in downtown Sacramento. And we're so glad that you came to hear this word. We believe this is going to encourage you, build you up, and give you life. So get ready to receive a message from God. In 40 days, the city of Sacramento will be overthrown. everybody doing today? Welcome to Project Church. If you're new here, that is not a normal intro. My name is Caleb. I'm one of the pastors here, but we are in the middle of a series in the book of Jonah, and we have come to Jonah chapter 3, and I want to read it for you right now to start. So here we go. Jonah chapter 3. Let's jump in here. 10 verses. Thanks for playing along. Did anyone get freaked out for a second? You're like, we're in downtown, this stuff happens. (laughs) Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out. Here it is. Yet 40 days... And Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh. And he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them and he did not do it. This is the word of the Lord. So let me catch you up on Jonah. Uh, If you haven't been with us, we are in chapter three. This is week three. We've done one chapter each week. Next week, we close out this series with the final chapter of Jonah, Jonah chapter four. So here's how it all starts. Uh, God speaks to a man named Jonah, and he asks him to go to a, a people group Uh, called Nineveh, the Ninevites, who was the capital of that city, was the capital city of Assyria. Assyria was a horrible group of people. They were barbaric. They skinned people alive. They were murderers, um, plunderers, and they were constantly attacking Israel. So Jonah hated Nineveh. He hated the Assyrians. So when God asked him to go, he says no, and he boards a ship for Tarshish going 2,500 miles in the opposite direction. 
And then while he's on the ship, a storm comes. Uh, if you've heard this part of the story, the storm comes and Jonah says, hey, it's actually my fault. And these uh, sailors are like, well, what should we do? And he goes, throw me overboard. I'm running from God. And because they're actually maybe more righteous than Jonah, like, we don't want to do that. But the storm gets worse. They can't get to shore. And so Jonah says, look, throw me overboard. The storm will relent. So finally they say, Lord, forgive us. And they throw him overboard. What happens? God sends a great fish to swallow Jonah. Uh, and, and then three days later, after Jonah prays a prayer in the belly of a fish, which you heard last week as Chrissy spoke on that topic, the whale spits Jonah up on dry land. And this is where we've come to in chapter three. He goes to this city of Nineveh. God gives him a second chance. And I just want to say, aren't you thankful for a God of second chances? I mean, I don't know about you, but I've needed second and third and fourth chances in my life. And I'm thankful for a God that is a God of second and third and fifth and tenth, tenth, tenth chances. Jonah was God's prophet. And he was God's prophet to speak to that culture. We would say that Jonah was a messenger, right? He went with the message of God to this nation, this evil nation of, of Assyria, this capital city of Nineveh. He was the messenger for the moment. And here's what I want to do today. I want to share a message with you entitled, The Mindset of the Messengers, all right? The Mindset of the Messengers. Because today I believe that every one of us is a messenger for the Lord. And I know you may not see yourself that way. You maybe have never thought of yourself that way. You're like, no, that's the pastor. That's you, Caleb. You're the messenger. I mean, you went to, you went to Bible college and seminary and you studied for this and, and you have a degree in like, you're the messenger. But I see and what scripture shows us is that we all are meant to be the hands and feet of Christ. We all are meant to be the mouthpiece of the Lord. And so what I wanna do is I wanna shift all of our mindsets to that of messengers. Because I believe that every Christian must embrace the mindset of a messenger. So I want you to look at your neighbor right now. I want you to touch him, even if you don't know him. Just put your hand on their shoulder and tell him, say, you're a messenger. Tell him, you're a messenger. So what is the mindset that we need as a messenger for God? The first is that we are speaking for someone else. My mindset must be I am speaking for someone else. I'm not speaking for me. I'm not saying what I want to say. Because I know a lot of Christians that say what they want to say rather than what other people need to hear. I know a lot of Christians that are willing to say what's on uh, their soapbox, but not what God is sharing them or telling them to speak. We must speak the word of the Lord. And so Jonah's message here, he, he issues this radical message uh, that the city of Nineveh was going to be overthrown, he says. He doesn't say destroyed, and I, I brought it to us just to freak you guys out. I said, the city of Sacramento will be overthrown. I think I saw some people in the back ready to jump up and tackle me. Then they realized, oh, it's the pastor. Okay, we're good. But this word of overthrown has two meanings. If we go back to the original language in the Hebrew, the first is destroyed. So when they heard this, the people of Nineveh, they would have heard this man, Jonah, walking through the city, and they would have heard, okay, the city's going to be destroyed. Or another way that this word could have been used in this day is reformed 
or turned upside down. Now, what is that referring to? It's referring to a moral renaissance that morally everything would be flipped upside down. And we know that this city was evil. I told you, they were plunderers, barbaric. They attacked, they murdered, they, they, they sacrificed children. I mean, it was a dark, scary place. And God is saying, it's going to be overthrown. I want to flip everything upside down. Now, we did just walk through, or, or he did just walk through the city saying one sentence. And knowing the writing style, uh, you know, as I've read this, I'm like, man, that was kind of a weak sermon. Like, he gave a very short sermon, eight words, in fact, and 120,000 people were saved. Think about that, an eight-word sermon. I mean, that's uh, roughly, you know, averages out to close to 20,000 uh, conversions for every word spoken. If I added that up in one of my sermons and how many words I use, roughly a million people should be saved today. But what's happening here is God is saying to Jonah, I'm sending you as my mouthpiece. We must have the mindset, church, that we are not speaking for us. Because let me tell you, when God asks you to say something, it's often uncomfortable. When, I, when God asks you to speak the truth, it's often not in the way you would want to do it or to the people you would want to say it. And yet, we go because I'm speaking for someone else. I'm a mouthpiece for the Lord. And I want to tell you, and I think I'm guilty of this at times, and I have been and I try not to be, that often in the church, uh, especially in the 21st century church where we are a Netflix generation. Um, we, are, we have entertainment in the palm of our hands constantly is that we have the tendency in the church to try to make the Bible relevant. Like if we could just make the Bible relevant. Can I just say something to you? The Bible is already relevant. Like it doesn't matter which parts of it, it's still relevant. The, the parts written 2,000 years ago and 8,000 years ago, it's still relevant. It's thousands of years old and yet relevant to our lives, which is why we open it every single day when we come into this room. Because it's relevant for what you're walking through, what I'm walking through, what we're experiencing. We don't make the Bible relevant. We just let the lion out of the cage. And can I tell you, the Word of God is powerful. The Bible says it's a two-edged sword, meaning it pierces on both ends. And I want to tell you, the Bible will always do what God wants it to do. And that's why we need to be rooted in it. Because when we're rooted in the Word of God, and the Word of God is on our minds and in our hearts, then I'm telling you, when God asks us to speak, it comes out in a way that is from His Word and is always relevant to what people are walking through. I want to show you a map of the city just to give you some context. I think we have this. This is a map of Nineveh. Um, you can see there was a, 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 a river or, or moat that ran all the way around the city to protect it. It had walls. Um, I don't have, or it actually even shows you the, the distance down here if we were to measure. Uh, obviously, you heard me read that it took him three days. It said it was three days in breadth 
for him to travel across this city sharing this sermon, this eight-word sermon, eight-word message of repentance. Now, we know practically, well, it shouldn't have taken three days. If we look at the distance, if we look at the size of the city, it shouldn't have taken him three days to preach this message. So historically, what theologians would say, and I'm just giving you guys a little context so we can understand the Word of God better, is that most likely it took him three days because he was traveling through the city delivering this message. So he would walk a distance, he would wait for people to gather, and then he would proclaim. Yet, in 40 days, sorry, in 40 days, the city of Nineveh will be overthrown. And then he would go further, and he'd wait for another group of people to gather. So most likely, it took him three days to travel across this, to deliver this message of repentance to the people. And I, I, I share this with you because I was impressed while studying this text this week, a reminder for me that God loves cities. And I need you to hear this. Because 10 years ago, we planted this church in downtown Sacramento. And everyone told me not to plant a church in downtown Sacramento. They told me, Caleb, there's no buildings. There's no facilities. People are spiritual, but they won't go to church. Everyone told me, you can't grow a church in downtown. And you know what they really told me? Caleb, there's no parking in downtown Sacramento. They said, you can't grow a church in downtown Sacramento. And one of the main reasons is because there's no parking in downtown Sacramento. As if God's in heaven looking down going, oh, I can't reach this city because there's no parking lots. But we stepped out 10 years ago and planted this church in downtown Sacramento because God gave us a heart and a burden for the city. And here's what I want to say to you. God cares about cities. And I think it's, it's, not, it's uh, not insignificant that you're here today. It's significant that maybe you've called Project Church your home because we are in the capital city, uh, a, a short distance from the capital of the state of California, in the heart of what I believe is one of the most, if not the most influential state in this country because God cares about cities. And he needs Project Church here and he wants you here because he's got a mission for us that we're messengers of the gospel. And so I need to remind you, God cares about cities. I know some of you driving here are like, man, there's so many homeless or unhoused. You Joe here, oh, it's getting so bad down here. Can I tell you, God cares about cities. There is a lot of influence, and I always told people, look, influence is more than size. God places you in specific locations because there are certain places that are more influential than others. And I believe he's positioned us as a church for a time such as this in this city to have great influence in a city center that he cares about. We have to recognize that we are speaking for someone else. This isn't our message. This is his message. The second mindset is that I'm a mouthpiece, not a miracle worker. I'm a mouthpiece, not a miracle worth worker. 
Jonah gives this eight-word sermon. Think about it. 120,000 people respond. The entire city repents. They fast. They put on sackcloth. The king himself issues an edict that says, this is what we're going to do. We have to save our city. The results aren't up to you. Do you hear me? And I need you to hear this because I've experienced in my life where God asked me to go speak the word to share a message, to encourage someone, to even talk to a stranger and tell them that God loves them. And I've had it rejected. I've had it rejected. I've had people say, that's weird. Even when I say, hey, I feel like God told me to come to you. And they're like, nah, go away. I don't know if you ever experienced this. I wanted to tell you this because sometimes we think, did I miss it? No, I'm the mouthpiece, not the miracle worker. I don't know what God is doing by planting a seed in this moment that down the road is going to be watered by someone else and eventually bear fruit. I'm a messenger. I'm a mouthpiece. I'm not a miracle worker. Your job is to speak in obedience what God tells you to say. It's his job to bring the increase. Why would Nineveh repent? I think that's a good question, though, today. Don't you think? I mean, it's 8th century before Christ, so 800 years before Christ. And Nineveh, this evil city, hears an eight-word sermon, and they all repent. Like, why would this happen? How would this happen? Well, I want to tell you, first of all, it's because God is a miracle worker. But secondly, sometimes God sets us up and we don't even know it. And the people are prepared for the message that we're about to share. And that's why I want to encourage you today to continue to be mouthpieces for the Lord, to hear his voice, to attune your ear and to step out in faith because you don't know how people's hearts have been prepared for the message that you're about to give. So here's what's happened in Nineveh. The two decades prior to this moment, Nineveh has gone through an extremely tough season. They, we know historically they had just walked through a season of plagues, of famines, and military setbacks. In the famines, thousands and thousands of people had died. In the plagues, thousands and thousands of people had died. A lot was going wrong in Nineveh. And in the ancient minds in this day, they believed if things weren't going well, if plagues were happening, if, if, if famines were happening, if their military uh, actions weren't being uh, re- received well, if things weren't being accomplished that they had sought out to accomplish, they had the mindset that the gods must be angry with them. So their mindset already in the two decades leading up to this moment were, man, the gods are mad at us. We're doing something wrong. We're failing. And here comes this foreigner, this Israelite, this Hebrew, walking through their city with a bullhorn. No, he didn't have a bullhorn. Uh, Walking through their city, yelling out this eight-word sermon. Yet, in 40 days, the city of Nineveh, will be overthrown. Not a very convincing sermon. Not a very convincing message. Not a lot of backing of power or authority. And he gives this and they respond, every one of them, and fast and turn from their ways. Why would this happen? 
because God had prepared their hearts through the season they'd walked through to receive the message that Jonah brought. And I'm telling you this because sometimes God will ask you to do things that seem radical, to go to people that are uncomfortable, to speak the truth in a season, to be the mouthpiece of the Lord, and you may not want to do it, but you don't know that behind the scenes, God may be preparing that person to where they're ready and they're open and they will respond and receive the good news. We look at John 16, 8 through 9. I want to read this for you. It says, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. I want to tell you right now, the Lord convicts the hearts of people. It's not our job. It's not my job even up here on a Sunday morning to bring conviction. The Holy Spirit brings conviction. That's who Jesus is talking about here in John 16. He's talking about the Holy Spirit, the one that's to come, the one that will dwell inside of us as believers, and the one that will, that will reign and, and operate on this earth, that he will convict the world. And I'm telling you, there are people in your life that you think are too far gone. There are people in your life that think God can't save. And I want to encourage you. The Holy Spirit is working even if you don't see it. There is conviction happening even when you don't perceive it. And God is doing something. Because the power is in the message, not the messenger. Like I'm not saying y'all aren't talented and gifted and great communicators and good looking. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that the power is in the message. It's not in us. It's in him. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it, the gospel, is the power of God for salvation to anyone or everyone who believes. Now this word power is the word dunamis in the Greek, which is where we get our word for dynamic. It's saying the gospel is the power, the dunamis, the dynamic word of God, and it will change people's hearts. So as Christians, maybe we need to stop messing with the message of Scripture and simply deliver it. I'm telling you, there is raw, explosive power in the essential gospel message. Sometimes, and I've heard it said, that people will be like, oh man, I need one of those powerful testimonies. Like, you were, you were caught up in drugs and partying and living the wild lifestyle, and then God radically saved you. You had this, uh, this moment of, of repentance, and maybe uh, you saw, uh, you, you heard the voice of God, or an angel of the Lord appeared to you. Like, those are amazing testimonies. And for a long time, I didn't like my testimony. My testimony was at five years old as a dirty, rotten sinner. I repented of my sin and I accepted Jesus Christ into my life. And every day from then, I wasn't perfect, but every day from then on, as long as I can remember, I pursued the Lord. And I went all through junior high and high school and I never ran from God and never turned my back on God. And I never rebelled like most pastor's kids do. 
and then I went to Bible college, and then I went to seminary, and then at 21 years old, I became a pastor, and here I am 20 years later, still pastoring, still pursuing the call of God in my life, still loving Jesus, still reading my word every single day, still in prayer every single day. And I used to think my testimony was trash. I wish I had one of those testimonies. But recently the Lord began to convict me. He said, Caleb, the thing is your testimony is a legacy. Your testimony goes back to your grandfather and even your grandfather's father who died at the age of 12 years old but rose, raised him up in the church. It goes back to your great-grandfather. I don't even know his name. And yet the impact that he has on me because of the life that he lived. And I want to tell you, if you have one of those radical testimonies, praise be to God. He'll use that testimony. He'll use it to save people who have walked through similar circumstances and situations you do. But maybe some of you have a testimony like mine and you've thought it's not that great. Let me tell you, there is power in that because it is the gospel message. And the gospel message is that I can save you, but then I'll also save the next generation and the next generation and the generation after. After that, and for generations of your lineage, there will be people that fear the Lord and serve the Lord. That's what I want my testimony to continue to be. For some of you, that's the testimony you're starting. I want to tell you there is power, explosive power in the simple gospel message that Jesus came to seek and to save all who are lost. That he died the sinner's death that you should have died and took your sin so that you could stand before God righteous and holy despite your failures and your sin and your mess and your mistakes because of Jesus. You can stand before God and one day you'll stand before him in heaven and he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into salvation and into eternity. That is the simple gospel message that we can share and I'm telling you it is life. For anyone that hears it, Jonah does the bare minimum. Like, I do believe that Jonah was mad at God still. Even though he repented in the belly of the whale and he said, all right, God, I'll go. And God gave him a second chance. I do think that Jonah went through the city giving the bare minimum message. Like, I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it on my terms. He says very little. And yet the impact is great, which is just a reminder that with little, God can do much with little. God can do much with your little, because some of you think you don't got much to offer. I don't, got, I don't have much to bring. Let me tell you, little is much when God is in it. And so bring your little and watch what God can do with it, even if it's a little resentful in the moment. Because we're all in process, aren't we? Jonah was still in process of sanctification. We're going to get to there in, next week in chapter 4. Uh, you, you'll see they all get saved and Jonah's mad about it. And he's actually so mad he's suicidal and he's like, God, just kill me. I didn't want them to repent. We'll get there next week. The third mindset that we have to have is that I'm just an ordinary person. I said you're a messenger, not a miracle worker. 
And this is just a reminder to us that we are ordinary people. We are imperfect people. He's not looking for flawless, perfect, talented people. God can do what he wants, when he wants, with who he wants. But I want you to think about it. If we go back to Jesus' own life, he's unable to work miracles in his own hometown, he says. Why? Because there's no faith. It says that the people in his hometown of Nazareth, which we know was a city or a town of only about 100 people, that they say, well, isn't this the carpenter's son? Didn't we know this Jesus when he was growing up, when he was young? Like, I remember him running around, not acting a fool. I don't think Jesus was acting a fool, but they remember him running around as a child. And they would not believe, they would not have faith in Jesus as the Messiah, the miracle worker. And so Jesus said, I, I can't do any miracles here because there's no faith. And I think this is a reminder for us because I think the hardest people to bring the message to are often our family members. Because they still look at you as that kid you once were. They still look at you and some of you that were acting the fool when you were a child or when you were a teenager or when you were in college. They still look at you like, I remember how you used to be. And now you're going to tell me you're one of those Jesus freaks? And that's where we just always bring it back. Because family members, our own children, our brothers and sisters, maybe even our parents are often the hardest people for us to reach. Those in our very own, own home. And that's why we have to always bring it back to, look, I am imperfect. Like when people say the church is hypocritical, I'm like, yes. We are a bunch of broken, messed up, hypocritical people trying to be less hypocritical and more like Christ. And so just keep reminding me, yes, I am that dumb kid I once was, but I'm different because I'm saved and I'm changed and I'm redeemed. The simple gospel message that in my brokenness and my failure, Jesus met me. You see, I, I do want to say this to us because I think we, we often have a misconception in the church that the church is for lost people. And I just want to say to you, while yes, lost people are welcome here. If you're not a Christian, you are welcome here. We want you here. And we want you to receive the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ here. The primary job of Sundays and the church in general is for Christian people. And I know it's like, wait, what? Our primary job here is to celebrate the Lord, to bring praise, honor, glory to the Lord, to bring our sacrifice of praise, our offering to the Lord, and give him worship that he is due. But then, after that, my job and our job as a church is to prepare the saints for the work of the ministry. So our job is to equip you to go out there and be the mouthpieces for Jesus. And so sometimes we think like, oh, well, this is where all the ministry happens. No, this is where we prepare you for the ministry that happens out there Monday through Saturday. 
This is a preparation moment where you get endued in, in with power and you get encouraged and you get built up and we're in unity in spirit as a church. And yes, we unify over some missions and, 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 and practical things we're going to do in the city, but ultimately that you're being prepared and more filled up to go back to a world that is constantly trying to drain you and sap you. And so that's why this message is so important because I was sent here to remind you that this isn't church. We are the church. When we go out from this place, we're still the church. And the church was meant to infiltrate this culture and infiltrate our jobs and infiltrate our neighborhoods with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So today, I am challenging you that you would become messengers. It's not just my job. It's our job to be messengers, ordinary people, embracing the mindset of a messenger. See, I'm an ordinary person too. I uh, coach my kids' sports teams, and I live in a neighborhood, and now my kids are going to school two blocks from my house, so I walk my kids to school every day. And it's been a challenge that God has had me on because I've always been more evangelistic and bent. In fact, when I have uh, the fivefold ministry gifts, which we see in scripture, uh, my number one is always evangelist, even though I also am a pastor and teacher. And so I'm always, I've always had the mindset that I'm on mission wherever I go. It's like I'm a little league coach, which I was last year, but I'm on mission. I'm trying to invite all these people to church. I'm trying to tell them about Jesus. I'm walking my kids to school and me and my wife are building relationships, having conversations with people. Let me tell you, most people are not going to approach you. Most people are insecure. And so we go out of our bubble and out of our own comfortability because I don't naturally want to go just start up conversations with strangers. But you want to know why? Because I have the mindset of a messenger. That I'm here and I carry something that they need. I know they need it because the Bible tells me they need it. That I carry life in Jesus. How could I not want to share it with everyone that I know? And I think the church, we've lost the mindset of a messenger. We've lost the mindset that we're all meant to be messengers. And we leave it for the pastors and we leave it for the really saved people. You know them. You see them worshiping. Their hands are really high during worship. Like, those are the really saved people. They're the messengers, not me. No, we all must embrace the mindset of a messenger, every Christian. Yes, we're ordinary people, but God does amazing things through ordinary people when we're obedient. And finally, if the keys will come back, I'm going to close. The mindset of a messenger says, I'm ready for revival. Come on, everybody say, I'm ready for revival. You got to say it again because I don't think you believe it. Say, I'm ready for revival. What happens here? Crazy. Eight-word sermon. 120,000 people repent, turn, seek God. Turn from their sin. And what does it say God does? It says when God saw their actions, when God saw their response, he relented. 
these are horrible, wicked, they're literally terrorists attacking the nations around them, brutal barbarians, child sacrificing. And it says that when God saw their repentance, when he saw their hearts, he relented from destroying their city. You see, that's the heart of God. The heart of God is to save. It's to seek and to save all who are lost. Tim Keller says this. The, the late Tim Keller. Pastor that recently passed away. He said, the results of sin are often more like the physical response you have to a debilitating dose of radiation. You don't suddenly feel pain the moment you are exposed. It isn't like a bullet or sword tearing into you. You feel quite normal. Only later do you experience symptoms. But by then, it is too late. You see... Sin slowly kills us. And this is a challenge for us as Christians because some of us are still bound by sin and we need to get it out. But this is a reminder for us of the city we've been called to reach, the neighborhoods we've been called to infiltrate, the jobs where we have influence and we touch people every single day that there are people dying a slow death and they don't even realize it. It's like what Timothy Keller said, the exposure to radiation. You don't feel it. You don't know it. It's not just stabbing pain. No, but little by little, it is eating away at you. And I look at the world around us and I look at the people that I have relationship with and I'm watching, they don't even realize it. The love of money and the pursuit of materialism and, and, and the influence of this culture that is little by little killing them. It's eating away at them. And as I watch this, and when I really open my eyes and say, God, give me spiritual eyes to see, and I see them dying, I'm not angry at them for their perspectives. I'm not angry at them for what they support. I'm not angry at them for the lifestyle they're living. No, I'm brokenhearted that they're dying and they don't even know it. And we know what the wages of sin are, don't we? The Bible tells us it is death. And so today, the mindset of a messenger is that we must be ready for revival. Our heart must burn for revival. Our heart must burn for the presence and the power of God in our life and in this city. You see, what happens with Nineveh is interesting. We can study this by looking at other scriptures. This is why I love the whole Bible. If you go to 2 Kings chapter 14, Jonah makes a cameo. And we see as we study more into Kings and, and the other parts of the Old Testament that 50 years after Jonah visits Nineveh, the Ninevites brutally attack Israel. A hundred years after their repentance, the Babylonians come in and wipe out Nineveh. 
So you see, God didn't actually spare Nineveh forever because their repentance was short-lived and their wickedness returned. He saved one generation, but the next generation went right back to the same patterns of old. And I wanted to tell you this because I wanted you to hear from me that revival isn't a one-time thing. Revival isn't a one-time repentance and I'm good. No, revival is a daily asking God to forgive us of our sins, to change our hearts, to give us his eyes, to see the way he wants us to see. And so revival, I must have the mindset, I'm ready for it. But that means that every day I wake up and I say, God, I repent. I ask you to relent and I ask you to move in my city because I don't want to see a move of God that lasts one generation. I don't want to see a move of God where, where he relents for a moment, but my children go right back to the same wickedness of this culture. The mindset of a messenger. May we preach the message that God has given to us. I do think that because Jonah got a second chance, the message was maybe more real to him. You see, what is the message in this? It's that nothing can go through you until it first happens to you. And so I want to say to you, the reason that the church and too many Christians don't have the heart or the mindset of a messenger is because we have not allowed our hearts to truly get enraptured by the power of the person of Jesus Christ. The reason that we don't have the, the, the perspective that this world needs me to share the good news is because we have not embraced fully just how good this news is. And so today, the mindset I want you to have is that this message of Jesus Christ is life. It's life for you, and it's life for all who have it. If we truly believe this, how could we not be obedient to be his messengers? And so I want to ask you today, do you have the mindset of a messenger? Do you have the mindset of a messenger? And I pray that today, maybe you're not fully there, but you leave this place a little closer to the reality that I'm meant to speak the good news because this good news isn't just for me, it's for everyone. Would you bow your heads across this place? You're here, you say, Caleb, first of all, before I can embrace the mindset of a messenger. I have to embrace the good news of Jesus Christ for myself. Some of you have been running from God. You've got caught up in the sins of this world. You've tried to do it in your strength, your way. But today you know that you need to surrender your life to Jesus Christ again or maybe for the first time. If that's you, I want you to respond right now. I'm not going to belabor this. If that's you, you need to give your life to Jesus for the first time. You need to rededicate yourself anew and afresh in this place. Lift your hand. Go ahead. If that's you, shoot it up. Right now, yes, 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 yes. Anyone else? Yes, yes. In the back, I see that. Hands going up. Thank you. You can put them down. Second thing, you're in this place. You say, Caleb, I got to be honest. I have not had the mindset of a messenger. But today, 
I want to commit myself, even if it's uncomfortable, that if God asks me to speak, that I speak. If God asks me to go, I'll go. I want to embrace the mindset of a messenger, but I need his strength to do it. I want you to lift your hand if that's you. Go ahead, just put your hand up. Yes, all over the room. Would you pray this with me right now, everybody in here? You can put your hands down. Say, Jesus, today I confess my sin. I'm imperfect. I'm broken. And I need you to change me, to forgive me, and to make me new. Come into my life. Work through me. I want to be your messenger. I love you, Jesus. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Would you guys stand to your feet? Come on. Yeah, give God some praise. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to the Project Church podcast. We pray and hope that this message encouraged you, built you up, and gave you life. We want to ask that you would invest right now in what God is doing here in downtown Sacramento. We've just recently moved in to our all-new building in the waterfront, Old Sacramento District. We want to ask you, if you'd like to give, you can go to projectchurch.com forward slash give to invest. Let's see all that God can do through us.